You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. All right, we're going to jump right into our text this morning. Start with that. And actually, this is kind of an introductory text because it kind of goes along with a theme. We've been doing a series of messages on shining your light and evangelism. And Brother Eric has done the first two messages. I'm doing one this morning. And then again, Brother Scott will be following this theme next week from a different perspective. But let's begin by reading these verses. I'll read these to you. And then we'll pray and we'll get started. Okay? Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. The Bible says, You are the light of the world. Now, this you that he's talking to is not everybody. He's talking to his disciples here. And so when he says, you are the light of the world, he is talking to followers of Jesus who have Jesus, the light within them. He said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And let's go ahead and pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for sending the light, Jesus Christ, into this dark and many times dreary world. It's not dreary because you created it that way. You created it in perfection, but we've ruined it with our sin. But Father, I thank you for your amazing love that has chased us down, as the song said, and and pursued us and come after us. And Jesus, you came to this earth. And you showed us how we can live as human beings in in communion with you. And and how our relationship to you can be restored. How our relationship to our Father, our Creator, can be restored. And we can live once again as, as we were intended to live in the garden. I pray that today, that as we look at your word that you would teach us some things. That you, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. And that each person in here might take away a truth that they need today. I may not even know, Father, what it is that they need, but I pray that you would lead me and guide me, that I might say the things that I should, that I might skip the things that I should skip, and that you might use this time again, that we might grow in our knowledge of you and in our love for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as I said, we've been doing a series of sermons on letting our light shine. And in Matthew 5, 16, Jesus commands his disciples to let their light shine before others. This is a command. Now, it is strange, though, because it does say let. Because he says, you are the light of the world, but he's talking to disciples that that, that, that have the spirit of Christ in them. So it's Christ that is the light. And then when we're his believers in him, we have that light within us, the light of Jesus. All right? but So we just let that light shine. But... Notice in the verses that we read, there's things like the city set on a hill cannot be hid. Or a light put on a stand. It has to be put someplace where it can be seen. If you put it under a bushel or under a basket or under a cover, it it loses its purpose. In the same way, when we have the light within us, it's meant for the world to see it and all the world to see the light of Jesus. But too often, usually because of some type of fear... We hide that light, and we don't let it shine. Sometimes we'll let it peek out every once in a while, but too often we just leave it too hidden as we go through our daily lives. And so what we want to talk about this morning is overcoming the fear of shining our lights. Now, <clears throat> this, this, what I'm going to give to you can really be used to overcome any type of fear. So uh, you can apply this in a lot of different ways. We're specifically talking about the fear of shining your light because too often we'll get like in a crowd and there'll be some friends talking or some co-workers and, and something comes up and there's an opportunity there and something within you, the Holy Spirit of God is saying, say something and you don't. Or maybe that there needs to be some times when we intentionally just go look for people and talk to them about Jesus, but we don't. And too often it's because of what I'm going to talk about this morning, and that's some fears, but those fears can be overcome. And we're going to go to a verse here. Oh, well, I'm going to get there in a minute. There's, I'm going to talk about the fears first. Some people may fear shining their light because they may fear losing their life. 
In some countries in the world today, you can still lose your life if you're too open about your Christianity. In the Muslim world, that's not that uncommon. And when we were in China, it wasn't as much the Chinese that were losing their lives at that time, although many Christians in China have lost their lives. But while we were there, we had friends from Cameroon and from uh, Ghana, West Africa. And many of them were in China because it was safer than in their home country. And some of them were giving testimonies each week about family members. They were fearful of their lives and there was people in in their villages that had been killed. Because the Muslims had come in and killed them for being Christians. And that's why some people fear, although ironically... Most of, there's, there's, there's many people in those situations that are more um, uh, uh, bold about shining their light than some of us who don't live within that danger. Um, in some places of the world, people may fear letting their light shine because they don't want to be associated with a weak or passive religion. Oh, you're a Christian, huh? Oh, you're not one of the good old boys then. Uh, you're, just, you're, a, you're a Christian? You're, I mean, you're a churchy Christian? I mean, like, you, you're, you're really into it, huh? You know, in, in our culture, it's really popular to call yourself Christian. It's just not really popular to be one. And, and so, um, some people, I think, I, I think sometimes it was, this may have been Peter's problem. Remember Peter when he denied Christ? For years, I thought that Peter denied Christ because he was afraid of dying. I don't think Peter was afraid of dying. If you go back and look at that story, when Jesus told Peter, Peter, you love me? You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter said, no, Lord, I would never deny you. I will die for you. And because of what happened later, I think he was telling the truth. It's just he had a specific type of death in mind. A glorious death. Fighting for the kingdom. But because remember what happened? When, the, when all the soldiers came, Jesus had told the disciples they could take one sword. So they took one sword. And so Peter's probably like, yeah, fight's about to happen. It's about to happen. It's been serious. It's been deep tonight, man. It's been, I mean, it, I could feel it. Something's about to happen. And he was right. Just wasn't what he was expecting. And the soldiers came with all the religious leaders. Many, many, many swords. A multitude of swords. But who pulled out that one sword when they started to arrest Jesus and took a swing of that servant's head and took off his ear? That was Peter. In, 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 in front of all these other soldiers with all their swords, he was willing to take that sword out and start the fight. It's like, all right, it's going to happen. Either Jesus is miraculously going to get me through this with one sword, or maybe I'll die of a glorious death and I'll be known throughout the annals of history as the first one to, to, to be a martyr for the cause of the new kingdom. But then Jesus said, Peter, put up the sword. He goes over to the servant, heals the servant's ear, and then just passively goes to the cross. I think Peter was like, I can't bear that shame. I mean, everybody's going to think, I was expecting the kingdom to come, and we were, it was going to be set up, and it was going to be glorious, and you're going to a cross? I, can't, I don't think I can be part of this. And sometimes we may fear being ashamed of being part of that soft Christianity stuff. Some people may, may fear because they live in cultures in which they are alienated from not only their community, but even from their own family. And this could apply to some people here. In our society, in our culture, there are some people that their families would reject them to different extents. Some people, they would be totally like they're dead to me. Like in a Jewish community, that can happen. In the Muslim community, that can happen. You're no longer my child. You don't even exist anymore. Or it can just be something that may be a little more mild, like, well, I just won't be accepted by my coworkers. Um, some people may simply be introverted and fearful of social interaction. That's really what I was. I didn't live in a society where I was fearful of my death. My family were Christians. I wasn't going to be alienated from them. My mom and dad are here, by the way, this morning. I'm glad to have them with us again. But uh, 
I, that, that wasn't my problem. My problem was I didn't like to talk to people. I don't know whether it's because I moved so much when I was growing up and I never learned to make friends very well. I had a few friends growing up, but my, my parents will talk about my friends when I was growing up and I don't even remember them. I, 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 because we moved, by the time I was 17 years old, I'd moved 22 times. And so I went to 13 different schools. And so I didn't really, I think I was a, a social retard, <laughs> okay? I, I just didn't learn to make friends and be friendly. Uh, and it wasn't that I disliked people. I just was very uncomfortable and didn't know how to act around him. And so when it came to talking to other people about the gospel or about Jesus, I was just like, I'm afraid to talk to people. Um, in fact, when Pastor Eric gave me the choice between this sermon or the one that Scott's going to preach next week as far as topics, I immediately thought, oh, this one, this one's been my problem. I've, I've been fearful in my life. And, 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 but God has taught me some things about how to overcome those fears. Uh, I'm standing here before you this morning, but I used to be so afraid of people that the first time I gave a, had to give an oral report in school, I passed out. I got up and I was reading the report. You know, I, you're supposed to, you know, be uh, expressive and, you know, uh, use some emotion in your voice. And uh, the teacher taught us all, you make eye contact. I was like, there ain't no way I'm making eye contact. And I just held my report up in front of my face so nobody could see me. And I started to read it, flipping the pages, holding it up so nobody could see who was behind the, pa- the paper. But as I was reading, it started to get darker and darker in the room. Now, why are they turning the lights down? I'd never passed out before. I didn't know what was happening. And I, finally, I, the last thing I told my teacher was, I can't see the page. And the next thing I know, I'm laying on the floor. And they're, I think I, they had my head between my knees. They were throwing water in my face, trying to wake me up. But I passed out. I was so nervous standing in front of people. Um, and then uh, I, 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 I'm going to shorten this. My wife recommended that I shorten this. And she's always got good recommendations. <laughs> but but I, I went... I went from, even when I was older, I went to college to study engineering. Because in engineering, that's safe. You know, you're dealing with science and numbers and math. And, you know, let somebody else sell these things to people and stuff. But you just deal with the designs and facts. Because people, you know, numbers. I love math. I, I, I taught, up until this last semester, I taught math in the high school here. I taught algebra. I like it because it's logical. It makes sense. People are weird. You never know what they're going to do. You never know what they're going to say. It's kind of like, I don't know what to expect. And even when it happens, I don't understand why. And so I was just really, I went to, but I was studying engineering. After three years, God began to work on my heart about going into the ministry and serving him full time. And I thought, God, I love you. I want to serve you. But those, that means dealing with people. How can I do that? But I wanted to obey, and so I went to my preacher. You know how preachers get excited about young men surrendering to the ministry? It's, what happened was very rare, but I came to our preacher. And I said, preacher, I think, I think God has put something in me, and I want to serve him. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> you just need to go back to college and study engineering. And so I did for one semester. And, but it just kept eating at me and just, it wouldn't go away. And so I left college. I went to, I went to my preacher. Uh, actually, I went to my preacher first again, because I really, I was just trying to help, have him help me get over this feeling, this eating at me. I wanted, and he said, well, if it's still at you, then it probably is God. You know, he's probably like, I don't know how it could be God, but it must be God. All right. So, so I, I left college. I went to Bible college. But even in the Bible college, you know, they, they, they would have, um, once a month, they would have 10 young men they would pick to preach for three minutes. Three minutes. That's all. Three minutes. But I, you know, I was like, no, I'm, not, I'm, I'm never going to do that. But I didn't, I wasn't paying attention to how they chose people. So I ended up getting chosen because if you knocked on, because I had gotten to where I could knock on doors and talk to people one-on-one, but like getting up in front of people, getting, no, I can't do that. And I, so I, uh, I, I was, I knocked out, we had little reports that we had to turn in for our activities. And so I turned in the, on the report how many people I talked to about Jesus and so forth. And so I got chosen because I was in one of the top ten. I was like, man, I would have let him die and go to hell. I never would have talked to him if I knew I was going to have to preach. You know, I was like, and so he announced my name. I, was, I went right to his office after chapel. And I said, uh, 
Brother Meister, I, I can't do that. And, and, and there's lots of people that want to do it. They're dying to do it. Just let somebody else do it. And he was a, an old Marine drill sergeant. He sat at his desk and he just laughed at me. <laughs> you're doing it. I was like, I was like no, no, really. I can't. He said, you're doing it. Just shut up. Get out of my office. You're doing it. And so I went out that, that week, I went out to the woods next to our, our church, and I cried, and I, oh, God, please give me something. I was reading my Bible. I never read my Bible so much in my whole life. I got to get something to say. And I couldn't, a whole week, a whole week to prepare a three-minute message. I couldn't do it. Wednesday morning came, and I was getting my breakfast, and Bonnie Whedon was serving the breakfast. And I've told this story here before, so some of you may have heard it. I'm sorry. But she was serving the breakfast, and as she's serving our breakfast, she's telling us what she got out of her Bible that morning. And I said, oh, that's pretty good, Miss Bonnie. And I took my Bible over here, and I said, tell me that again. I'm going to use that today. And I wrote down the points that she had. Then when my turn came, I was sick to my stomach. My legs were shaking. I had three whole minutes to fill. How was I ever going to survive this? I stood up there and I was shaking. And I, and I, I didn't hold my Bible up, but I read, it, I read it down here. I read a bunch of verses so it would fill up some of, the, some of the three minutes of time. And then basically I just read the points. And then I was done. And what they had done, usually the preacher boys are up there hooting and hollering and yelling and screaming. And they got three minutes. There. They're just giving it all they got for three minutes. And then Brother Meister would have to get up after three minutes and tell him to sit down. They'd keep trying to finish their points. And he'd say, sit down. Well, I was, in about two minutes, I was done. I was waiting for that shoulder tap. Nothing's happening. And I was like, now what do I do? And I just turned over to Brother Meister and I said, i never done this before and I don't have anything else. What do I do? And he's so gracious and so kind. He helped me so much. He sat there in his chair and just belly laughed. And kicked his feet on the floor laughing at me. And I went and sat down and I thought, what have I done? I gave up a scholarship. I was getting a free engineering degree. And now, uh, how can I ever serve the ministry? But we can grow. And if you're fearful this morning, you can grow. Now maybe your problem is you don't have the light. If you don't have the light, it's hard to shine it. And if you don't have the light of Jesus Christ in you today, come down and talk to one of us afterwards, and we can tell you about how the light of Jesus can shine into your life. But if you have the light of Jesus in you, we still need to grow in grace and knowledge of him. And so this morning, I want to, uh, oh, I was going to tell you one other thing. Sometimes people think they don't know enough. Well, I would tell people about Jesus, but I don't know all the doctrines and stuff. You know what? I don't either. I'm still learning. I'm 61 years old. I've been in the ministry since I was, I, went, I think I went to Bible college when I was 19. And I still don't know everything. I'm still learning things. It's a, God is eternal. He's way bigger than being able to fit inside your little head. <laughs> you don't have to know everything, though. The good news is if you know him, you know enough. All you got to do is tell him what he did for you. And you may not be able to explain anything. And don't lie to them. Don't try and make stuff up. Just tell them if you don't know something, don't, just tell them you don't know. And then go try and find out. But everybody can start somewhere by shining the light. But let's look at this verse I'm going to give you this morning. is basically what I'm talking about the whole time. But we're going to be leaving it and then coming back to it at the end. In 1 John 4.18, the Bible says, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. All right, so if you're fearful this morning, the Bible tells us it's because you're not perfected in love. Does that mean you don't know the love of God at all? No, that's not what I'm saying. But we're talking about perfected in love, a mature love in Christ. And so basically what I want to talk to you about this morning is how when we mature in our love for Christ and his love for us and we begin to understand it and grow in this knowledge, more than just a head knowledge, the fears begin to disappear. And so I'm going to basically take, take you through the process and a number of steps along the way where we can grow and be perfected in love, okay? Um, when you're truly in love with someone or something you're not afraid of letting everyone know. I'm sure we have Razorbacks fans in here. How many Razorbacks fans are in here today? Look at their hands go up. You're not ashamed. You're shining the light of the Razorbacks. 
All right? And that's, not, that's okay. I'm a Cowboys fan. And I, I said that in the first service, and somebody booed me. And I said, I don't care what you think. I'm a Cowboys fan. I love the, I, my, my love for the Cowboys is perfected. All right. Because I had no fear. I don't care what anybody else thinks about the Cowboys. They're probably right. <laughs> but, but I don't care. Because I love the Cowboys, all right? And that's not a deep love. That's not the same kind of love I'm talking about with God. But it is, it is an illustration of the fact when you go to a, 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 a Razorback game, you act like a fool for the Razorbacks. Pig suey! What is that? I mean, you've got a whole stadium of people not ashamed of doing that. Because they love the Razorbacks. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm just telling you the way we are. When you're in love with something, you're not ashamed of it. And when we're in love with Christ and as we grow in our love for Christ, we're not, we're, we're not going to be ashamed of him and it's not going to be hard. It's going to get easier and easier to shine our light. Okay? Um, what if I told you I'm in love with a woman, but I really don't want you to know who it is? Well, that woman wouldn't appreciate it very much, would she? All right, my wife is laughing. All right, we've been married for 36 years, 37, 37 years, 37 years, and I love this lady. Come on up here, Paula. This time she knows what I'm going to do. Last time she didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know I was going to do it until I did it last time. But come up here, Paula, come on up here. This is the love of my life. This is my wife, the mother of our five children, my joy, and I'm not ashamed of it. I love her, and I don't care what y'all think. Mm. <laughs> All right? And, and you know what? When you love somebody, you don't care who knows. You want everybody to know. I'm proud of my wife. I love to say, that's my wife. Especially when somebody said, oh, that lady's pretty. pretty. Yeah, that's my wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she, Paula is so kind. She's so nice. Yeah, that's my wife. I love her. You're right. She's great. I love her. And you should be just as in love with Jesus. And when you're in love with Jesus, you don't care what everybody else thinks. But we got to be honest. So, some of us are in a position where we still do. So let's start with that. Instead of saying where you should be, let's start with where we are. And see how we can grow to this point. And it's not going to happen. I'm going to tell you right now. It's not going to happen by the time you walk out the back doors. It's a process that you have to start. And actually you have to continue your entire life on this earth. I'm still growing in my knowledge and love for Jesus. I'm 61 years old. I'm growing in that. I haven't arrived. And nobody in this room's arrived. But you're never, <laughs> you're never going to grow if you don't start moving. All right, so let's just give you some things to start with here. Now, the first one's going to sound really strange to you because it sounds like I'm saying the opposite of what our verse just said. But to grow in love, we must, this is point number two, grow in the fear of the Lord. We need to grow in the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy 10, 12. The Bible says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord, your God, require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. God wants you to love him. He wants you to love him with all your heart and all your soul. But what does he start with there? What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God. So how do we begin this process of be, having our love perfected. We start by fearing the Lord. And say, well, that doesn't make any sense. It does make a lot of sense. God, God knows what he's talking about and he knows what he's doing. But look at the way God revealed himself to us. At, now, in creation, there was a loving relationship with man. It was perfect in the beginning. But we destroyed it by rejecting the love of God and choosing our own way and love of self. God just gave us one thing to do to show us our love for him and obedience to him, and that was just don't eat of one, one, the fruit from one tree. But it's all the other trees in the world, but we chose to reject him and reject his love, and because of that, this world's broken. 
We're broken. But God still pursues us, as we talked about in the song this morning. He's still pursuing us with his love. He still wants that loving relationship, and he knew what we were going to do before we did it. So he had a plan in mind already, and that's wonderful. So he continues to pursue us. But as he reveals himself to us, as our relationship with him is broken and and generations to follow, never did experience walking in the garden with him, how does God begin to reveal himself back to us again? If you read the Old Testament, I want to say, first of all, the Old Testament is full of the love of God. But what do most people see, especially if they're young Christians or unbelievers, what stands out to them when they read the Old Testament? The wrath of God, the fear of God. God. Oh, wow, God told them to go in and kill all those people. Oh, God's hard. God punished the Jews. God did this. God did that. And it's all negatives that we point out. Now, if you're reading and you understand the love of God and then you're reading this story, there's a lot of times that God flat out said he loves the children of Israel, that he loves people. But we miss that because there's so much of God revealing himself as a holy, righteous, almighty, all-powerful creator of the universe. To be feared. And we're crazy if we don't fear him. Years ago, before we ever went to China, when we were living in Texas, it was a big fad. All the teenagers driving around with no fear bumper stickers. They might have just, might as well just gotten a bumper sticker that said, fool. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's smart to be afraid of some things. You should be afraid of jumping from the balcony. There's a good reason for it. You're foolish if you're not, and you just step off the edge of the balcony. All right? And there's a good reason to fear the Lord. He's, a, he's, he's someone to be feared because of his power and his might, his holiness, and how far short we come from his, his standard of perfection. But remember, this is just where we're starting. This is not where we're ending. Don't, don't, don't let me lose you now. Because some of you are like, oh man, I, he's going to preach to God of hate. No, I'm not preaching to God of hate. I'm preaching to God of love. But fear is the beginning of that relationship. Okay? Um, God's love is, is great for those who fear him. In Psalm 103, verse 11, he says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. In, in Psalm 103, verse 17, he said, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. By the way, the fear, of the, the fear of God drives out the stupid fears. Those things that we fear that we should not be fearing. If we fear God more, then we're, go, then we're, then we're not going to be as afraid of the other things. That fear will overcome the fear of things that we shouldn't be afraid of. of like sharing our light uh, or shining our light. Uh, for example, sometimes my boys growing up. My goal with them, when, I, when they were young, I wanted them, I wanted to have a loving relationship with my sons. And by the grace of God, I get to enjoy that today. I have four sons, they're all grown, all have kids, all married. And they're, they're my best friends. But that's not how we started. When they were little boys, because I love them, I wanted them to be afraid of disobeying daddy. I wanted them to be afraid because I love them. And I know that they're not wise enough yet to just, if I just reason them. You know, with, that, with my three-year-old about how the damages of, the, of disobedience here. They're not going to, they don't know what that means and they don't care what it means. But they do understand, oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. When I do this, oh, oh, oh. Let me try that again. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, oh, I'm not doing that anymore. So there needs to be, and my, so my boys learn. Now, I will say this, that when I, when I punish my boys, I don't know if I did it every single time. I told them my, my boys I loved them over and over and over again because I love them more than anybody else in the world except their mother. But, uh, but and I told them that. I would spank them, and then at the end, I would say, you know, I, lo- I, I do this because I love you. Because Jesus told me I need to do this. Because he loves you. Because I'm representing him. It's really not my decision anyway. I'm just a steward of those kids. God is the one who gave them life and they belong to him. All right? And so, uh, so but as we grow, as we grew in time, 
Those boys began to understand my love. And you know what happened? Is that the, the, the fear of me was dissipated and the love for me grew. Today, my adult sons, all of them will call me. They don't have to call me. I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not giving them any money. I don't hold anything over them. But they'll call me and say, hey, Dad, I got this decision to make. Uh, what, what do you think I ought to do? They trust me. And I'm, I kind of got ahead of myself with that a little bit because I'm going to get to that. But they trust me and they love me. They, they like to be around me. In fact, sometimes, no, I'm not going to get into that. I'll start a fight between the brothers. <laughs> but uh, but uh, the fear of God will drive out the fear of everything else. So when sometimes my boys, they would, as they were growing up, sometimes there was things that they would want to do and they're afraid what their, th- their friends might think if they didn't do them. But you know what? They had a greater fear of what daddy would think and what daddy would, would, would say than the fear of what their friends would think. And I'm not saying that they never did what their friends wanted them to do. They did. But it kept them from a lot of things. You know what? What kept me out of a lot of trouble when I was growing up is my mom and dad sitting right there. They weren't perfect parents. Like, I'm not a perfect parent. But I knew they loved me. And you know what? They punished me. They taught me how to be a parent. And, but I knew that they loved me. And sometimes it just, there was things I was in bad situations, but I just thought, I just can't do that because I just can't, I can't let them down. And I didn't want to, all right? But again, that begins with understanding fear, all right? Then, then how do we grow in fear? The next point will be short, but in Isaiah 6 and chapter, uh, uh, chapter 6 and verse 1, <clears throat> the Bible says, <clears throat> in the year that King Uzziah died, oh, by the way, I'll just give you the point. I don't remember with Ken, I gave some of them the verses first and some of the points first. The point is grow in the knowledge of his holiness, when we understand how holy God is, it's natural to fear him. The reason we don't fear him is we don't realize who he really is. We don't understand how great he is, how powerful he is, how perfect he is, how righteous he is, how, oh, it, 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 you could go on and on. But so we need to grow in the knowledge of his holiness. And I want to look at an example of that in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. So he sees this vision of the Lord. Now I want you to keep in mind, the first five chapters, if you look at the first five chapters, Isaiah is a prophet, and he's preaching the word of the Lord, and he's preaching truth. But I don't even know how many times, I didn't write it down for this message, but Isaiah is preaching, woe unto them! And then he names who they are. Woe unto them who do this, and woe unto them who do that, and woe unto them! And he's preaching truth, and he's preaching right. But it's all about them. Watch what happens when Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. Uh, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. There's this awesome vision that Isaiah's having of of the Lord, high and lifted up on the throne. And I said, look at his reaction, woe is me, for I am lost. And I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Before he realized everybody else's unclean lips, and he was pointed out, woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them, woe unto them. (gasps) Woe is me. He saw the holiness of the Lord. Very few people see the holiness of the Lord, though, in this day and age in our society because we don't take time. Many Christians read their Bibles because they know they're supposed to, but they rush through it. They kind of try and get the facts down. Yeah, yeah, I heard that in Sunday school. Yeah, I heard that in small group. Yep, yep, preacher said that. Yep, 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 yep. And we don't take time to stop and meditate on what the Word is telling us about the character of our God. So we have to take time and allow the truth of the Word of God 
to sink down into our hearts where it will begin to transform us. Uh, Then the next point, how do we grow in this perfection of love? We grow in faith. Now, I'm going to start with Exodus 14.31 here. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. Does everybody remember all the plagues on the Egyptians and what he did to them? What was the result of that? They saw the awesome power of God. So the people feared the Lord. But look what else they did. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Result of that fear was faith. Say, oh, how are fear and faith connected? Remember I told you my sons call me? Why, why do they trust me? Because they first feared me. Why did they fear me? Because I was bigger than them, I was smarter than them, and I may not be the smartest man in the world, but I'm, I'm smarter than a three-year-old, a five-year-old. And I just got a head start on them. I mean, they're in their 30s now. Some of them, some of them are in their late 20s. But, but I'm 60, so I've seen more. I've still got a little bit. So, so they, they will call me because they, they trust me. Why do they trust me? Because they think I have some wisdom. Because they think I have some power. Because they, 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 they lift me up. Do you understand? Not like God. But you know what? As a father, you're there to represent the father. And what they think of you is what they'll think of him. And, and they, should be, they should be lifting up. Oh, we've gotten away from reverencing fathers in, the, in America today. A father's just a joke on television. Why do, they, why do you think this society wants it to be viewed that way? Because they want you to think God's a joke. But he's not. All right? But, it, but he can be trusted. Because they start to understand, oh, we don't only fear dad. Dad's doing these things because he loves us. Oh, I see. I disobeyed and I got hurt. I see. Oh, he, he really is for me. Oh, he does know what he's talking about. Oh, and they begin to trust me. And that's what happens with us in God. If God is not a God to be feared, he's not a God that can be trusted. If God doesn't have the power over everything that is to be feared, then why would you trust him to take care of everything? We have to understand how great and powerful he is so that we can trust him, okay? God originally created man to commune in loving relationship with him and bear his image in the earth. And after the fall, God revealed himself first as someone to be feared. Why? Because he wanted his people to trust him. All right, uh, then let's go to point number five. All right, this was, I think this is number seven on your guide, if you're looking at that, so if, if, if I lose you there. Uh, I, it's, the point is grow in guiltlessness. We're talking about not being af- afraid of shining our light. Sometimes we, we don't want to shine the light of Jesus too brightly because we feel like, oh, but I've got so many of my own problems. I've got, they've seen me mess up before. These people have seen me when I wasn't at my best. And now I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus? Well, you know what? Those are the only kind of people there is to tell about Jesus. <laughs> Everybody, everybody in this room, including me, is not worthy of bearing the name of Christ on our own. But you can take care of that. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, we're going to finish that passage that we were looking at earlier. Remember, Isaiah has seen the vision of the Lord. He says, woe is me. He confesses his sin. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Why? Because he confessed it. 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't have to carry around any guilt. You don't have to carry around unworthiness. You are worthy of representing Jesus because he saved you. And he is worthy of being known. And what he's done for you is, is worthy of being known. Excuse me. Notice what happens here with Isaiah. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, now his guilt has been taken away. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, 
here am I, send me. Isaiah was burning with the desire to do something for this holy and awesome God that he's just seen. Now he's been forgiven by that God and he's like, yes, send me. Let me shine my light. Maybe you're not shining the light because you're carrying around too much guilt and you're not dealing with sins that are in your life. And all of us have them. If you don't think you have any, you need to get in the light because it'll shine on your darkness. And I'm speaking from a perspective of someone being in the same boat as you, okay? Um, And then next point, grow in gratitude to the Lord. Now, you would think that this would happen just naturally if we realize how great God is, what a bad position we're in, and then how wonderful he is to save us and to forgive us. You'd think we would be grateful. But once again, because of the busyness of our society, most people do not take much time to just be grateful to God. What a, when we do have little prayer meetings and we meet, what do we ask God about most of the time? What do we want to talk to God about? Oh, I got this problem. Would everybody pray for this? Whatever. We should. But how often do we come before God and say, God's been so good. Look what he's done for me. You know, that when, because everybody has something. I don't, I don't, I almost worded that wrong. Some people in this room may be dealing with hurts that I've never experienced, that are much greater than anything I've ever experienced. I don't want to deny the pain that you're in. But the truth is, no matter how great your pain is, no matter how hurt, you're, hurt you are, no matter how great your fears are, the love of God is so much greater than all of them. And what he's done for you is going to fix all those problems eventually. We're going through them right now so that we can grow and learn to rely and trust in him. But stop and take time to think of the goodness of God. We sing about it. When we're singing about it, do you really think about how good he is or are you just singing the song? Think about some specific ways in which God has been good to you because everyone sitting in this room, you're still breathing you got clothes on your back. The, poor, the poorest people in America are still in the top 10% of wealth in the, in the world. Most of the world doesn't have it near as bad, near as good as the people who have it the worst in the United States. And but yet we're an ungrateful people. Because we just are too busy to stop and think. And we have to do it intentionally. It doesn't just put up a first Philippians 4, 4 through 8. Philippians 4, 4 through 8. The Bible makes a really unreasonable demand here. In Philippians 4, 4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, yeah, right. Always, really? You just don't know. No, I, I, I understand rejoice in the Lord, but don't put that always on there. That's just unreasonable. That's not a reasonable thing to request. But that's what he said. And he not only said it, he also said, Again, I will say, you heard me right the first time, rejoice. That's a command. But that's hard. I mean, because really... Most of the time, when we're going through difficulties, most of us would have to really be fake and phony to rejoice. But he still said to do it. Then in verse 5, he said, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone after making that unreasonable demand. How ridiculous. (laughs) The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything... There he goes again. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So he's asking us to be thankful in everything, to rejoice always. I mean, that would be like shining our light all the time. How in the world could we do that? Well, we can't if we continue to think on all our problems. But Paul tells us what to do here. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, 
whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If we would just control our minds and make our minds think on the things they're supposed to be thinking on, instead of worrying about things that haven't even happened, worrying about things that have happened that we can't change, never living in the present and just being thankful for what we have right now. Even in the midst of your worst tragedy, there's things to be thankful for. And I'm not saying we have to fake it and act like the tragedies don't hurt. They do. We go through pain in this life. But that's the glory of the gospel is we have Jesus to go through it with us. And we have hope in the midst of our trials and pains and troubles. But we need to access that hope by placing our minds on Jesus Christ and on, the, on all that he has done for us and is doing for us and will do for us. We grow in gratitude by thinking. And as we grow in gratitude... It'll be, more, it'll be easier and easier to let the light of the gospel shine out of us. Then number seven, grow in the knowledge of the gospel. Grow in the knowledge of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Many times we know the gospel, but we don't know the gospel. We know the facts about the gospel. We know the propositional truths of our doctrinal statements. But we don't know how that applies in our life daily. We think that the gospel is all about, I get forgiven today so that when I die, I go to heaven. The gospel is all about how to live the kingdom life now. The good news is we get to enter the kingdom of God now through Jesus Christ and begin to grow in our knowledge of grace and truth and love now. We must grow in the knowledge of the gospel. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. God's plan for you is, yes, he wants to save you and forgive you right now. If you're not born again, he wants to take you into his family and give you a new birth right now, today. Just come to him. Ask for the forgiveness of your sin. Ask for him to take over your life, give him your life, and you will become his child. But then we don't just sit around and kind of wait until we die one day. We're to be growing in our knowledge of him right now. Why? So we can grow in our love and our fears will start to disappear. And we can live in joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control like we're supposed to be living right now. Not one day when we get to heaven. Now we're to live the kingdom life. But that doesn't happen if we don't grow in the knowledge of the gospel. Uh, 1 John 4, 15 through 17 also says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. We can experience the love of God now, but you're not going to experience it when you don't abide in him and in his love. That means staying, continuing with him. Abiding is to continue. Some translations even say to continue. Too, too often what we do, and I've done for, I did for years. And I knew I was supposed to have a quiet time in the morning. So I would read my Bible because it was my duty, and I thought that's what Christians are supposed to do. And it's better than nothing. It is. And then I would say some words of prayer because I knew I was supposed to. And then I would leave and go live my life that day. 
I wasn't abiding, continuing in his presence. That will not transform my life. There are millions of Christians that read their Bible and pray with no transformation. Because there's one element missing that is so foreign to our culture. And that is slowing down and just stopping and thinking. Solitude, silence, and meditation. Without those, you can read. There's people that have memorized the Bible that aren't even, that aren't even Christians. There's no transformation. The power is when you allow the Holy Spirit to take the written words, bring them to life in your spirit as you mull over those things. Then it goes beyond your mind into your heart. When the truths of the scriptures get into your heart, your life will begin to be transformed and you will become a different person. If the truths of the scripture stop right here and you look at the Bible as a fact book, you're going to be just the same as you were before you read it. It's got to come down into your heart. And you have to stop and take time to just think. And I can't, I can't even explain it to you. This last week I was looking over three verses. Just three verses. For 30 minutes I was just looking at those verses and there was nothing new in them. But as I, as, I, as I mulled over them and thought about them and thought about how these, the, the, this truth affected other things and thought about what this truth meant about the character of God and about my character. And as I thought about all these things, that truth began to become a part of me. I began to experience that truth. And experience is when we really know a, a truth. You know, I could say... I, I, I can say I know the president of the United States because I read about him. I know where he was. I don't really, but I know where he was born. I know when he was born. I know his, who his mother is. I know his siblings. I know his children. I know all these facts about Joe Biden. But do I know Joe Biden? No, I've never met the man. I don't really know him. I know some things about him. But I would be lying to you if you say, if I told you, I know Joe Biden, what would you think? You wouldn't think I was just telling you about the facts that I know. You'd think that I'd know him personally, wouldn't you? Well, there's a difference between knowing the facts about Jesus and the gospel and knowing Jesus and the gospel. And that only comes through interaction, relationship. It can't happen with just a casual reading of the newspaper each day. You've got to take time and allow the truths of the scriptures to come into you and become a part of you. And then I'm going to give you one more way that, we, that this can happen is that we grow in obedience. Grow in obedience. You want to grow in love? Grow in obedience. If, if you don't obey the commands of Christ, you're never going to know that they are true. Like you'll know they are true. When you, when you experience the truths of the scriptures. We, we can say, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm supposed to do, but do we do it? Until you do it, it's not going to become a part of you, and your life's not going to be transformed and changed. You might do it because he said to do it, and I believe him. Okay, whoa, I didn't sink. Look at that. It's true. The gospel is true. Jesus is true. And we be, begin to grow in our faith as we, as we grow in our obedience. It's like a cycle. You believe, so you obey. When you obey, you believe. When you believe, you obey. When you, it keeps going like that. And the more we grow in obedience and in faith, the more we're growing in love. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 5, But whoever keeps his word in him... Truly, the love of God is perfected. If you want to separate your spirit and soul from your body, you're never going to change. We, we think somehow that God has to do with our spiritual life. 
but it has nothing to do with our physical life. No, we are spiritual, material beings. God made us at the intersection of the spiritual world and the material world he created. We are his image in this material world. That's what we're created to be. So whenever we do something physically, it will affect us spiritually. When things happen spiritually, it will affect us physically. When we separate them, there's no transformation. We, we somehow think, I'm just going to say, God, deliver me from this sin. And then we think that somehow magically, without us changing anything physically, we're just not going to do it anymore. No. We have to intentionally do some physical things to put ourselves in a position to be in tune with the spiritual world. So we have to physically take our bodies and place them before God. Sometime during the day, I think the preferable time is at the beginning of your day. If you work a night shift, probably before you go into work. If you work a day shift, probably before you go into work. But I'd give him the beginning of the day. Because if you're not with him at the beginning, you're not going to be with him continuing through the whole day. (laughs) God is not somebody you just tack onto your life. God is your life if you're a believer. And if if we're going to follow him, we need to be doing what he does and what he's commanded us to do so that our lives may be transformed and we may be perfected in love. I'm going to skip ahead to 1 John 4, 18. That's the verse that we started with, not at the very, very beginning, but at the beginning of this message. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We need to be working on being perfected. There's a part, the Bible says in 2 Peter, make every effort. We're to be adding. The Christian life is not God zapped me with, with spirituality. Nobody gets zapped with spirituality. You have to put your body in a place to where you're, you're, you're breaking the bondage that the world is holding on it so that you can be in tune with the spiritual world. Because that's what you're made to be. A missionary in Africa was asked if he really liked what he was doing, and his response was somewhat shocking. Do I like this work, he said? No. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonably refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. And then he says this, love constrains us. Why did that missionary in Africa go through the goat refuse to go into the huts? Why did he live in the conditions he lived in? Because God said to go, he obeyed, and he understood the love of God. You have to make your body do some things before you can grow spiritually in in the truth. When I took our family to China to shine the light there, I didn't go because I had this great burden for the Chinese people. Or, I mean, I I even told God when he first talked to me about going to China, I told God, I said, she was my girlfriend at the time. My girlfriend's mom is Japanese. My sister is Thai. We adopted one of my second sister is is from Thailand. Um, I have a lot of Korean friends here. I don't even know any Chinese people. And it's communist China. This was back in 1982. You know, I was like, I can't go to China. But God says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. You can go there if I want you to. And we went. But even when I was in China, did I, did I stay in China because it was such a wonderful place and because I just was so in love with the people? No, sometimes I looked at the people and I said, they deserve to die and go to hell just like I do. Because they do. And so do you and so do I. But I went and I grew in love. And God actually transformed me. And my wife will tell you this. It changed me more in China than, I, uh, than he used me to change anybody else, I think. But we need to put our bodies in a place 
and just do what we're commanded to do. Do you love Jesus enough to do that? Will you shine your, his light in your space, in your community, in your family, in your work area, in your neighborhood? If you, have, if you are not walking with God the way you should, the way you know you need to as a believer, why don't you start right now this morning? Don't wait until tomorrow morning. Just right now, as, we, as the, as the uh, worship team sings in just a moment, just start praising Him right now. Meditate. As, as you, if, even if you're singing the songs with them, meditate on what this is talking about. Think about it. Allow the truth of the gospel to permeate your soul that it might transform you and you become a new person where the light naturally radiates because it doesn't in the beginning. We have to be intentional about it. Maybe you don't even have the light of Jesus in your heart yet. If that's the case, come down and talk to one of us this morning and we'd be happy to tell you about the light of Jesus can shine into your life and bring light into the darkness that you may be able to live in joy and, and accomplish the purpose that you were created for. Worship team, if you would stand.